If you have your Bibles with you, would you turn once again with me to the book of 1 Peter? 1 Peter chapter 3. If you don't have your Bible this morning, of course, as usual, the passage is found in your bulletin, and there's Bibles on the back cart that you can use. And we'd invite you to do that this morning. This is week 11 in our study of this book. I hope you don't know that, because if you're counting the weeks, it probably means uh, not a good thing. It probably means you're ready for, how long is this thing going to last, this series? Week 11, and we have a few more weeks uh, to go. This, of course, is a letter that was written in the first century to a specific group of people in a specific time and place, uh, but I trust, I hope, I pray uh, that the Lord has seen fit to challenge us as a church, as a 21st century church here in Edmond, Edmonds, Washington, uh, about what this text, what this letter might mean for us. Most recently, Peter has been snooping around in the relationships that we have with one another and the relationships that we exist in here on earth, teaching us how to be sojourners and how to be exiles, how to be holy. In the last several weeks, if you've been here, we've been in kind of a, a, a stream, a, a consistent theme, and it's all flowed from chapter 2 verses 11 and 12. Let me read them again to you. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and may glorify God on the day of visitation. And so everything that we've looked at in the last several weeks have been flowing from that statement. What it means to be exiles and sojourners who do good deeds and, and glorify God, point people to Christ. That verse began this, this avalanche of citizens and husbands and wives and servants all centered around this notion of, of submission, right? It's been a reoccurring word. What it means to honor and to respect those in authority over us, whether it be citizenship, servanthood, marriage. Now we come to verse eight of chapter three. So we continue to pick apart this letter and we come to verse eight and we see in verse eight this word, finally, Right? In other words, summing up everything that I've said the last couple weeks. Of course, Peter didn't say it over the course of weeks, but I did. Finally, all of you, he continues, finally, all of you, no matter your station in life, all of you, Church of Jesus Christ, all followers of Jesus, all followers of what, what is known as the way, commend Christ to those around you in this way, all of you. And that's what we unpack today. So I invite you to listen carefully to these verses. If you're able, I'd invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. First Peter chapter three, verses eight through 12 is where we're gonna be this morning for the next few minutes. First Peter three, verses eight through 12. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, 
and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For this, to this is what you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Well, I certainly don't agree with everything that he says or everything that he does. Just a few weeks ago, Franklin Graham, the son of the well-known American evangelist Billy Graham, was banned from the UK. He was going on a speaking tour there this summer, and he was banned for what his critics called hate speech. In other words, he holds to biblical views on homosexuality and Islam. Indeed, slippery hate speech laws are popping up on our planet in places like Sweden, in places like Canada. One must be careful what one says when publicly speaking to others. Last year, one talk show host in this country criticized our vice president who claims to know and love Jesus, saying that he had a mental illness because he claimed to receive direction from Jesus, from the Holy Spirit. Well, those are very public situations that that we've heard about and we know about in the news. There are countless other situations like that, maybe in your life, where you experience slander in your own families, in your own workplaces, in your own neighborhoods. It's not a matter of if, it's simply, as Peter has warned, a matter of when. In a world that is increasingly hostile to the values of those who follow and are seeking to follow faithfully Jesus, how is the church called to set itself apart? Attracting a watching world to a God in heaven, right? Holy exiles, a a peculiar people, part of a different story, a better story. These are some of the themes that we've looked at. And that's the question that Peter continues to help us answer. He's been answering it all along, but he continues this morning in this passage specifically in two ways. He challenges us in two ways. He says, first of all, church, love each other like family. Love one another like family. Now I recognize, as I say those words to you, that family is a complicated thing for some of you who sit here. Family is filled with tension 
Maybe family even equals alienation in your case. In a fallen, broken world, this is unfortunately a reality for many of us. But that idea of family for all of us, whether it's not a part of our everyday experience or not, in its ideal state, family is sweet and rich. And some of you, by God's grace, have experienced that and are experiencing that. You didn't choose them like you did your friends, but they are so often, family is, they're people who are wired like you. Right, they're committed to you. They're people who want to know you. They want you to know them. They wanna go deeper. They're people who want to see you succeed. Right, that's family in its ideal state. And Peter says, church, love one another like family. And in five powerful phrases, Peter lays out what life together in the church ought to look like. He doesn't say everything about life together in the church, but he says some profound things. These are not just random descriptors, though we can read them very quickly and just move on to the next verse. But these are things that the apostle Peter, and I believe the Holy Spirit, want us to strive for as the people of God. We gather here this morning and and blood doesn't tie us together, right? The bond that does tie us together is the gospel of Jesus. And that's a bond that's not just as strong, it's actually stronger still. And so it's worth spending some time here, slowing down a bit, seeing how these five phrases, and I'm just talking about verse eight, five phrases harmonize with the rest of the New Testament. So let's digest them a little bit together. Before we get into the specifics, I want you to notice that these aren't things that are you, you are just called to do, but these are actually, oddly enough, things that in part we are called to feel you say, well, how can, how can God ask that of me? How can God ask me to feel something? Well, uh, one answer is because he's God and he made you. But God has always been more concerned about the heart than simply outward behavior. But not just that, he's given you his spirit. He's promised his presence, he's promised his help. And the gospel is that powerful. And so yes, indeed, as Peter says, be these things, church. Love one another like family. Feel this way. We can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, begin to feel. So let's look at each one, verse eight. The first word, or the first phrase, unity of mind. Unity of mind. All of you have unity of mind. Be like-minded, right? 
have a common understanding of the truth. Some translations say, live in harmony with one another. And I love that translation. I love just that phrasing, that word, because of the word harmony. Because harmony brings in the idea of music. And I, I love music, right? We at Ascension, we've been singing these songs this morning in unison. And it's a beautiful thing. What do I mean by unison? Is we're not only singing the same truth, we're not only singing the same song, but we're singing the same exact notes. When Peter's calling the church to have unity of mind, he's not suggesting that we all need to be singing the same exact note. Peter is not calling the church to uniformity. He's calling us to unity amongst and amidst our diversity. Right? Centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, that bond unifies us all and helps us then to relate to one another. We're diverse here this morning. Socioeconomically, ethnically, even how we look at things. But you don't have to be a Republican or a Democrat. You don't have to have your kids homeschooled or Christian schooled or public schooled. You don't have to spend the Lord's Day the same exact way as everyone in this room but we need to have unity of mind. To tie to his previous teaching, the gospel creates a community willing to submit to one another for the sake of the larger mission, right? To handle those differences with humility and grace and truth, have unity of mind. And when the church does this, the church is not singing in unison, it's not singing the same notes, but it is singing in harmony, different notes, but in the same chord structure. And it sounds beautiful. And the world sees it. Jesus prayed for this. John 17, 21, I ask that they may be one. Just as you, Father, and I are one. That's pretty close, right? That they may also be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. The early church exhibited this. Acts 4, 32, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one said any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Paul wrote to the church in Rome about this in Romans 12. Live in harmony with one another, he says in verse 16. This is not easy to do. I mean, when we step back and look at the entirety of the church of Jesus Christ, I lament, and I think many of you lament, at the, the divisions that exist. The hundreds, literally hundreds of denominations that exist. In some ways, that's unavoidable. But sometimes in our zeal, mixed with our pride, we often want to make majors out of minors. We want to make molehills into mountains. And Peter says it's fine to have convictions, it's fine to be passionate, but the world needs to see harmony. 
They need to see unity of mind. So be careful. That's the first phrase. The second one is sympathy. Finally, all of you have sympathy. Have sympathy. We would say that harmony is is fueled by this, right? This is more, brothers and sisters, this is more than simply seeing one another. That's important. We need to see one another. But the world sees each other. How many times have we heard in the past couple weeks, our thoughts are with the family? Our thoughts are with the family. What does that even mean, our thoughts are with the family? No, sympathy is deeper than just seeing one another. This is the notion of of feeling with one another, of getting under the burden of each other. See, this is why I told those of you who were in the discipleship hour that you were going to get a double dose of this this morning of what it means to be the body of Christ. We need to be willing to sit in the sadness of others, to sit in the pain of others, to let the tears of others become our tears. Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That's not just something up here. That's literal tears sometimes. 1 Corinthians 12, if one member suffers, all suffer together. Hebrews 13, you hear me quote this a lot. Hebrews 13, 3, remember those who were in prison. How do you do that? As though you were in prison with them. And those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. In a fast-paced society with busy lives where we so easily compartmentalize our lives, in a commuter church where we live far one another, this is hard. But the Bible says love one another like family, with unity of mind and with sympathy, feeling one another. Next, brotherly love. Finally, all of you have brotherly love. Loving one another is all over the New Testament, of course. Open the book of 1 John, you'll see it all over there. This is a word we know well, Philadelphia, right? Brotherly love. This is a family mentality. We're not just members of an organization here. We are not merely friends. We're not merely distant relatives that just speak to one another on a yearly basis. We are family. We're brothers and sisters. Living kingdom life together. And so Paul told the church at Rome, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Hebrews 13, let brotherly love continue. Sympathy, brotherly love, unity of mind. Tender hearts. Tender hearts. Finally, all of you have a tender heart. This is a great Greek word that's often used in family 
context. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. Yes, I am. You splag schnoy. Something like that. Capshaw, isn't that pretty good? You splag schnoy. I mean, that, that just sounds good. Why does it sound good? Because it's coming down from here. You splag schnoy. Because it means it's referring to someone's inner organs. It literally means good bowels. Have good bowels for each other. That's what tender hearts are about. It's the kind Jesus had for those who were harassed and helpless in Matthew 9. It's the kind that the Good Samaritan had that made him lay all his plans aside and focus on that beaten man. And then finally, humble minds. It's the last phrase of these five that Peter focuses on, humble minds. In the Greco-Roman world that Peter writes into, humility was not extolled. Humility was a sign of weakness. It was not a virtue. So this indeed was counter-cultural, but a believer in Jesus, mindful of God, fearing God, to bring in the previous phrases that Peter has already brought in for us, For the believer who knows who God is, who knows who you are in light of Him, you therefore have the ability to consider others better than yourself. Of course, Philippians 2 lauds Jesus as the one who humbled Himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, and invites us to have that same mind. Let this mind be in you. Have a humble mind. Brothers and sisters, you put all of this together and you have a group of people like yourselves from every walk of life, from every interest, from every kind of demographic, living and loving one another together as if you were blood family. That's strange. That's otherworldly. And that's what Peter calls us to this morning. Love each other like family. But there's more here in this passage. Obviously, I've just hit one verse. I'm not going to spend the same amount of time on the rest of the passage, but Peter invites us to be more than a billboard for the world as how they see us love one another, but he invites us to treat them in a certain way, right? In verse 9, Peter shifts from talking about us and how we love one another, how we reflect one another to them. And he says this, church, bless others in the face of suffering. Even suffering that they themselves are bringing about on you. Bless others in the face of suffering. This is a suffering church, and they're receiving sufferings at the hand of people that they're just ready to be bitter towards. Peter says, no, Bless others in the face of suffering. See, not only does this diverse community that loves like family commend Christ, but we are a people who don't retaliate. Verse 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called. We live in a culture that is wired for revenge and retaliation and retribution. 
our current cultural and political environment could not be a worse example in this regard. Peter says, how do you respond to people who attack you? You bless them. That's a word and it's a sentiment. It doesn't have a lot of teeth in our day and age, right? We think about the word bless. We think about bless you after a sneeze. We think about bless your heart, something my grandmother would say. But to Christians, blessing is so much richer and more meaningful. You see, the origin of this word in Greek is not, it doesn't find its roots in in Greek culture, in Greco-Roman culture. It finds its origins in the Hebrew scriptures and in the notion of blessing that we find all throughout the Old Testament. 400 times this word is used in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And so while the word by itself in Greek means simply to publicly speak well of someone, right, to not throw them under the bus, we would say in common vernacular, but to to lift them up, to speak kindly of them. And yes, the application of this command to bless, I think, includes that. Yes, speak kindly of others when you do so publicly But in its biblical context, in its biblical framework, with its Hebrew import, I think it means so much more. It means asking God's favor and grace upon someone. I mean, isn't that what Jesus called us to do in Matthew 5? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Peter knows this is hard. I mean, this is impossible. He's speaking to people who are hurting And so he adds at the end of verse 9, bless that you might obtain a blessing. Okay, you got my attention, Peter. But then he quotes, kind of, from Psalm 34. If you flip to Psalm 34, it's going to look a little bit different. You're wondering, what's the deal? He's not really quoting the scripture. It's actually believed that he's depending more upon the Septuagint, which is that Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, than he is just straight Hebrew. But he's paraphrasing. Psalm 34, spend some time in it today. It is rich. We began our service with it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It's a psalm where David extols the work of the Lord and the promises of God that are for his people, that are for the people of Israel, that are for those who walk in his ways. And Peter takes that psalm and he brings it to the New Testament church that's suffering, that's struggling to bless. And he says, this is for you. Jew and Gentile, church of Jesus, this is for you. This is part of the motive for blessing those who revile you. For keeping your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit because there is life. There are good days ahead. What's Peter speaking of there? I think he's speaking primarily of that inheritance that he spoke about way back in chapter one. Right? God will make all things right. But, but I also think he's tapping into the reality that those who live lives like this, who don't get all spun up when they're attacked, 
who don't try to think of the best comeback when they're reviled. I mean, there's freedom to just not respond. But two, like the one who didn't revile others when he was hung on a cross, entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Peter says, you can bless. You can do this. You you have a savior who did this. His spirit lives inside of you. There's freedom in letting it go. I live free as one bought with a price. It's kind of a paradox, right? But I do, I live free though I'm bought by another. I live in this world as a citizen and yet of a world to come. And so where does the church look when it lacks the resolve, when it lacks the strength, when it lacks the compassion, when it lacks the desire? Verse 12, the eyes of the Lord are on me. The ears of the Lord are ready to hear my cry. This is hope. This is my lifeline. This is what enables me to bless others in the face of their cursing, in the face of my suffering. Brothers and sisters, what Peter calls the church to is is hard. Seems impossible, but with the gospel, it's not impossible. And I'm so encouraged because, as I said in the discipleship hour as your pastor, I I see glimpses of it in us. And the Lord sees it in us. As we learn, we're continuing to learn how to love one another like family. We're continuing to learn what it means to bless those who curse us. So keep pressing in. And pray. Pray with me as I pray for you. Ask and plead for the grace to turn from evil, to seek peace, to reflect the one who entrusted himself to the Father and didn't revile in return. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for so challenging a message and yet for such a great gospel that gives us the power, that gives us the motivation, that gives us the hope to press in, to press on, and to press upward. O Holy Spirit, take your word, plant it deep in the lives of your people, and do your work in them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.